Alrighty, we're live. Hello, dear Starshines. Welcome, welcome, welcome to today's lunchtime chats. My name is Christina, uh, and I'm an acceleration expert. For those of you who are not familiar with me in the chats, we are here to talk about those topics and issues that are significant for us starseeds, way showers, and new paradigm visionaries. We have capacities and abilities that are not necessarily embraced by our larger human family. Therefore, we have very different perspectives to the kinds of chaos and challenges that we are facing as a species on this planet. And I am here to give to the best of my ability a liberated perspective to these topics, issues, challenges. So welcome, everybody. Welcome. Uh, and uh, I'm going to give everybody a moment. Chime in. Let me know that you're here. And uh, oh, good. Yep. The, the comments are working. Hello, dear sister Joanne. So good to see you. Aloha. Uh, yeah, let me know you're here and uh, we'll dive right into the topics. So there's been some very interesting things coming about. Um, and uh, for those of you who are interested in participating in these conversations, as in part of the cultivation of them, I encourage you to check out two different groups. We have, if you're on Facebook, we have a group called Rise of the Multidimensional Human. And, um, and when you want to enter that group, you need to answer all the questions and you'll get and you'll get access right away. Um, if you don't answer the questions, um, my assistant is going to personal message you to make sure you actually want to be a part of that group. So there is a little bit of a hands-on component to that community. And that's because we want to keep the integrity of that community, right? People who really care about about having a place space to share uh, things that are really authentic for them. So for that reason, we filter out who comes in and who doesn't. So if you invite people into that group, they too need to answer those questions and or respond to the personal message that they get from our um, monitor. So um, if, so there is that group and in the Facebook group is Rise of the Multidimensional Human. And in Telegram, it's just multidimensional human. You can search for that group and then uh, you can just become a part of it and join the conversation. We have really interesting people in our community. All of us are star seeds, star shines, new paradigm visionaries. I mean, really, really um, on point, let's say conversations because we are all on this acceleration journey together. And, uh, and there's a certain level of awareness that our community has and level of respect for each other where our community has that others perhaps do not. So in this way, it's a very, very special community. All right. Hello, dear sister Tasha. Glad you made it too. Hey, young trick. Good to see you. Hello, hello, hello. As you guys can see, I'm still in Mexico <laughs> um, and I'll be here for another couple weeks. I'll be, um, I do have a date to be returning back to the States um, where I'm going to be, uh, I'll be uh, doing a facilitator workshop for HAPE, for plant medicine. So I was introduced to this plant medicine back in 2019 by Dear Starshine while, um, while we were on a, um, a sacred journey through Croatia, Croatia, um, Bosnia and Herzegovina. And um, I have to say that the medicine over time has really, really um, brought some very interesting things to me. And what I learned from that medicine is how to connect with plant spirits and 
this has um, evolved to such a space where I can connect with plant spirits without having to take the plant. <laughs> and uh, and right now I feel really, really moved and motivated to connect with the um, with the indigenous elders that hold the secrets of the medicine songs of these uh, of these um, connections with plants and plant medicines. So um, so I'm going to be doing a I'm telling you guys for a reason I'm, I'm going to be doing this workshop when um, I come back to the stage, which means there's going to be for this is the first time in a really long time where there's a likelihood there will not be a chat that week or the week before. So the week before I'll be flying into the States on a Thursday. So there's going to be two weeks. And this is going to be the first time in probably five years, guys, that there's going to be a potential period of time where I'm not going to be showing up for the chats. So I want to, I just want to give you guys preemptive warning that that might be happening. If you know, I'm saying might, because if I can pull it off, you know that I will, even if I'm sitting in the middle of the Mexican uh, airport, <laughs> I'm going to try to pull it off. So, uh, so, uh, so you guys have the heads up on that. Um, and uh, yeah, so there's really interesting things to talk about today. We have a dear sister Starshine in our Telegram group that is asking about, you know, what does the awakening slash remembering journey look like and what kind of role discipline has in that journey? And I know I've talked about this before, but the way she asked this question um, just brought up, brought it up on a way to talk about it in a very, in a, with a different perspective, with a different kind of spin to it. So though I've talked about this topic before, I'm gonna talk about it again in a different way than I have in the past. And then um, I wanna talk about um, Dear Sister Starshine Stacy's video that, um, sh that was posted in both our Telegram group and um, Facebook group, um, where she was talking about what to do when taking on the energies of others. <clears throat> empaths especially know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> so um, it's a really great video. If you haven't checked it out, she shares about an experience um, and uh, and talks about how how she witnessed the interaction going on and then what she did to, to uh, step out of and release that energy that she was taking on. As empaths, we very commonly do this, especially when someone is having a big reaction. We have this inclination to naturally fall into a relationship with someone in a big reaction to help them try to feel better, try to fix it or empathize with them so they know they're not alone and in their experience, you know, we do stuff like this. So I want to talk about how to do this in a way where you can stay um, intact with your energy. I mean, it's great to catch it and clean it up. And usually we do, we catch it after the fact and clean it up after the fact. But what if we can, what if we had the habits to avoid taking it on in the first place? So I wanna talk about what that line looks like when we're starting to take over, start to take on those other energies. Most humans do not know that they're doing this. They don't know that they're taking on other people's energies, other people's fears or stresses or programs. Most humans don't understand that they're doing this. So here you guys are, are um, really working hard in uh, being dedicated in your dedication towards your journey. So I, I feel like this particular um, delineation will actually be pretty beneficial for you to, to recognize the, the signs, you know? So I'm gonna talk about that. And then there's another video I posted, um, and this is our, our dear sister, Starshine Una. She is a Celtic uh, medicine woman um, from the um, German, Belgian, UK area. 
And she has been working with um, indigenous elders for many decades. So she has a very deep connection to the ancient lineages of this planet. Okay. And she shared a beautiful story about the spiritual responsibilities of each of the races of this planet. Okay. It's a beautiful story that comes from the North. So if you guys, um, haven't checked out that video, I encourage you to check it out. And Una is such a graceful and beautiful storyteller. Um, so I, there's no way I can possibly give it justice to the level that, that she did. So I'm not going to necessarily repeat the story, but I am going to, I do want to talk about this idea that each of our races on this planet have a purpose have a spiritual responsibility to the whole, to the Pachamama. So I want to talk about that. <clears throat> all right. And I'm going to pause here and say hi to all the additional starshines joining in. Hello, dear sister. Good to see you, Polly. Good to see you. Um, Mar oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to mutilate your name. I bet, beg your pardon. Miroslav. Um, hello. So grateful. And uh, Miroslav says, I'm so grateful. I'm following you. Wait. Um, what did you, you said Croatia and Bosnia? I am from Croatia. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'm going to talk about that. So uh, welcome, darling. I love, I love Eastern Europe, but uh, we did a sacred journey in 2019, right before the lockdown to Croatia. Um, and we went to, uh, we went to three different sites in Croatia. And then we also, then we hopped the border over into Herzegovina and Bosnia. So <clears throat> I know Herzegovina and Bosnia are kind of like put together, but uh, they're actually very uh, uh, defined sections of the country. Um, and just, I'm just going to cue you guys in and what the difference is. So I don't know if you guys remember, but back in the nineties, there was a major conflict in Bosnia and, um, and it was, there was a pretty significant revolution also happening or I don't know if you call it insurgency or whatever, also happening in Croatia. So there was a lot of violence happening in that area. And the, um, the, the Serbians were coming in doing things and there was a lot of shenanigans going on. In Bosnia, how it unfolded, it turned into the Catholics um, against the Muslims. And, um, and the wounds went so deep within the population of, the, of that country is that they decided to, there was a peace deal that was made, but, there, but they are now called Herzegovina and Bosnia and are considered different sections. The Herzegovina side is the Catholic side and the Bosnian side is the Islamic side. A lot of people don't know that. So um, ironically, we were going to all these sacred places and we went to an, an ancient sacred um, Sufi temple in Herzegovina. <laughs> which was really interesting. But um, Croatia is absolutely fabulous. We were in split. Um, we were unwinding, doing grid work, um, which we didn't know was called grid work at the time. We were unwinding some of the, the really deep seated um, programs that were powered over dynamic programs that were anchored in the um, Temple of Jupiter in split. And uh, that that was actually a fabulous story that that i mean my gosh that was amazing the unwinding and what we did and the grid work in there so um we we um we cleared up the um the intrusive heaviness that was anchored in 
um, it was first the Temple of Jupiter. So I had all the, you know, those Anunnaki programs anchored in. Then it was overlaid with the Christian church. And it was built in like 400 years BC. So it was perfectly aligned cosmically and earthwise on an energetic level. And it was a portal still is a portal, but we um, released the energies of that portal. So these Stargate frequencies from Plitvitsa can come in and start flooding the consciousness grids of that area. And that area wasn't just Croatia. It was also Herzegovina, Bosnia, Slovenia. You know, there was this whole um, uh, grid shifting of the entire, um, that entire block of Eastern Europe going all the way up, all the way up through the Balkans actually. And, uh, and that's what we did in 2019. Um, and it culminated with us being at the Bosnia pyramids and working with the Ravna tunnels and with the different um, pyramids in that valley. Now, those, are guys, those of you guys that don't know, there is a village called Visoko. And uh, that village is a valley, but the valley aren't mountains. That valley is created by these structures, these pyramids. Now, they're not like traditionally shaped pyramids, which throws historians off. But as soon as you dig down a few feet through the layers of soil and foliage and tree roots, you actually come across a stone ceramic construction. So we, the Temple of the Sun is the one that everybody knows about as the Bosnian Pyramid. But right, right across from that is the, um, is the Pyramid of the Moon. And we actually, so of course, when you do grid work like this, spirit just sends the perfect people at the perfect time. And, and what happened was is that we had this travel angel, his name was Eden, and uh, he was our Airbnb host. And we stayed right there next to, right above the, on the top of the hill by the tunnels. And he grew up in Visoko and took us to all of the secret places, so to speak. And a friend of his actually owns the orchard that's on that mountain that I'm talking about that they discovered was a pyramid. It was the it's called the pyramid of the moon. And it's a, um, and we know it's a pyramid because they were um, digging a well. And during the process of digging the well, they came across the construction and you can see very, very clearly that it's a built structure, the layers of the structure. And then of course there's other, there's other um, a pyramid, the whole valley, those are all pyramids. None of those are actual mountains. It's really amazing. The, the thing is they can't clear off the um, the life, the, the you know, the dirt and the trees, the forest on those mountains, because anytime it rains, that entire valley will become flooded and no one can live there anymore. So they um, are not able to reveal the pyramids in their full glory because it would totally destroy the entire town. But there's very interesting um, rivers that also run through that town. There's three rivers that converge in that village. And, um, and the floor of those riverbeds are baked ceramic, right? Base, baked ceramic that goes against the flow of the water. And what that does is that all the water as it flows for, I think it's like three kilometers, as it flows, it's spiraling, spiraling, spiraling. And for those of you that know about the water sciences, when you when you spiral water, you are informing it. It's 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 um, focusing life force energy within the water. So all three rivers that converge in that valley have a ceramically ba ceramic baked floor with that goes that's angled against the current, and it's very highly charged water that converges. And as they converge, it creates a waka, a, a, a vortex, and that vortex is like the engine to these pyramids. So it's a fascinating, fascinating 
um, mechanics. I, I had no idea at the time really what we were getting into until we're, and even when we were there, we really weren't sure what we were getting into. We were just going with, you know, what felt right. And we went pretty far. Um, it, it, we, we did a lot of work and not long after we left, they discovered a whole another um, section of tunnels. So I, I feel like they, that was really connected to the work we we're doing because it's, it's really connected into the consciousness grids and you only can unearth what the consciousness can handle being aware of, what the collective field can be aware of. So I feel like that, you know, we cleaned up that consciousness grid enough that it was, you know, humanity on that collective level was ready to be aware of a whole nother section um, of discovery within the tunnels. So, <clears throat> so that's that, <laughs> just a short, short explanation there. Thank you for getting, making me go on that or uh, inspiring me to go on that tangent. That's awesome. Oh yeah. And you were there. Yes. I would love to go there again. And yeah, um, I would, I would look Eden up, you know, he's an amazing, amazing uh, host. He just went above and beyond. He was so gracious and so synchronistic, very intuitive man um islamic man you know very intuitive and it's just we would have a thought and he would be there you know offering some sort of help and assistance you know so really beautiful host and, and he also gave us a really great education on the vulcan culture and and the history of the place and you know um uh you know there's something instilled about your value really has a lot to do with what you offer the collective what you offer your community so philanthropic behavior is something that's rewarded. And when you become more of a mature man in community, that's like a major part of you um, being a, um, you know, being a respectable man in, in your, in your community. So it, yeah, I learned so much and I learned a lot about Islam too while I was there and the Sufis and yeah, it was absolutely a fabulous trip. I can't wait to go back. Of course, you know, La Cucaracha came around and we couldn't go back, but we, all of us that went on that trip, were like, we are coming back. We all wanted to go back for more. Okay. So let me get going on, on, on these topics. Um, all right. So, so with the spiritual responsibility, I'm going to, that's going to be a theme that I'm weaving through the whole conversation here. Okay. So, um, because this is a, something that this is an idea that needs to get developed. And I feel like this is actually a need that many humans have, but they're just not able to put their finger on. And, uh, so hopefully through this conversation, I'll be able to you know, define things in a way where you can maybe start to feel sense um, tune into your own DNA, your own ancestry, um, perhaps, you know, what's helped fueling your journey, your awakening journey here that, you know, on a deep level, is it actually you striving to fulfill the spiritual responsibility of the perspective um, root race that you come from? Okay. <coughs> all right. All right. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. So so let me back up to the awakening journey, what it looks like. Okay. So, you know, it depends on outside looking in and me in retrospect of my own life, what your awakening journey looks like really depends on what generation you were born into. If you were born into earlier generations, like born in the um, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 
your awakening journey um, had a lot of intensity with it. Okay. That means, you know, uh, life explosions, uh, you know, tragic events, um, major trauma, dramas, accidents, illnesses, deaths, you know, really like sticking your finger in that spiritual lightning socket over and over again. And even though we had a really adverse or strong um, response to spit, spit, spitting, <laughs> putting our finger in the spiritual lightning socket, there was something inside of us that kept us from to continue to do it, even though we know that our life is about to explode afterwards, right? So there's like this level of, <clears throat> I guess, the of, of suffering that um, we were prepared for or conditioned by, you know, we were, uh, there's a lot of le levels of pain and trauma that we've gone through as part of our awakening journey. And it was because there was a calling that we couldn't say no to. And we just kept doing it. And we started to get, you know, kind of used to the intensity, you know, and uh, so early generation awakenings are a lot different than the, the younger generation awakenings. And I'm learning a lot by connecting in with the communities here. The community here is there's a lot of young people in this community. I'm going to say when I say young people, I'm talking about 35 and under that are um, that are awake and um, and are entrepreneurial and have this this aim to be outside the matrix or, you know, not be controlled by the matrix at the very least. You know, they really want to have a liberated lifestyle and be in charge of their own bandwidth and focus. Um, across the board, the people here have usually have a really strong pranayam practice or some kind of spiritual practice. Okay, it's a, across the board. It's a pretty consistent, um, a pretty consistent thing. So, so the younger generations are um, are going to have a very different awakening journey than those of us who've been around for a while. And you might ask, why? Why is it like that? Um, and and, and really what I have to say about that is because we were born into a lot more density, the matrix, so to speak, the, co the collective grids, so to speak, were a lot more locked down than they are now. Okay. And a lot of us had no choice, but to, you know, we just had the, the, the tools that we had to bust through and we were busting through really hard stuff. So, uh, so that required a lot of, lot of, um, facing, you know, deep, painful things either in the family or in within ourselves, stuff like this, because our ego drivers and the collective field supported a, a really dense ego driver. And of course, you know, um, being an indigo, an early generation indigo was not an easy thing now and being an indigo it's like you're kind of born with a whole with a level of um autonomy sovereignty and ease that didn't exist 20 years ago okay so i so i'm saying this all for for those of us who've been around for several decades it's like this is where we can see all of that hard work paying off by us sticking to our our truth and speaking the heart, you know, speaking the, the the hard truth and facing ourselves over and over and over again. Yes, we're doing that for our own personal healing and awakening and empowerment. But because we did that, the entire collective of this planet is benefiting. So in that way, 
we are very lucky because we get to see the fruits of our labor while we're still alive. Okay. And, and let that sink in. And there's a few of you I'm thinking of, and I know you, you probably can tell I'm thinking about you. <laughs> let that sink in. These future generations are benefiting from the fruits of our labor. And things were so dense and so um, difficult back then, we adapted survival mechanisms. And a lot of those survival mechanisms looked like extreme discipline, okay? Uh, extreme uh, commitments, you know, just things like this, <clears throat> where, you know, without that depth of commitment, without that depth of discipline, we would have not have had the bedrock that we needed in order to keep stepping forward, sticking to our truth. Okay. So this is, this is, this is why um, oftentimes discipline is in the conversation when it comes to spiritually awakening. And I'm seeing a lot of star seeds now that are also benefiting from discipline, but it's also something that keeps them limited because there's this idea that the ancient ways somehow are the authentic ways. They're not quite at that place to realize that they're poised to for when they get exposed to these ancient ways, they're poised to extrapolate the highest truth from those ways and then adapting their lifestyle to, to, to be an expression of the truths, okay? Now, this is something I discovered for myself in like 2012 around that, was that I was getting trained by these ancient lineages, these masters, these immortals in my dream time and in person but I was getting trained not because I'm supposed to hold that lineage, though I did, and they initiated me to do that, right? But I was going through that so I can have a true heart, uh, heart and spirit remembrance of my connection in with those ancient lineage so I would feel authentic in extrapolating the truths from that from those places and then bringing them forward to humanity in the way that i do now okay so there's like this um this idea that's still kind of tripping up the youth about you know having to you know look look like the, where the roots the ancient roots of where these teachings come from like i see a lot of people you know dressing you know kind of like monks or or dressing in very um uh you know, kind of maybe what's considered cultural appropriation. You know, I see that a lot. Um, and I know there's a whole conversation about cultural appropriation that I can get to. I can touch on that in a minute. But um, what I see people, when I see people doing that, I, I feel like I'm watching beings reaching for a connection, reaching, you know, to be connected to feel connected, to be connected, to remember a time when they were not in the particular culture that they are, this current life has them in. Okay. So I see that the whole appropriation is something completely different than the, um, than the typical narrative about that. <clears throat> and, you know, 
the story that Una had to say about ancient, about the different races and their and their ancient purpose, their ancient uh, spiritual responsibility really hit home for me because it helped me even, it really validated actually for me, the whole cultural appropriation conversation. Okay. And for those of you that didn't see the video, I'm going to just summarize the different spiritual responsibilities in the storytelling that she shared. And I do encourage you guys to go into the telegram group and, or the rise of the multidimensional human group on Facebook and watch this video. It's a very short three minute video. Una is, um, she has white hair. You'll notice, you'll see, you'll see her thumbnail. And I'd like you to, if this is something that in, that's interesting to you, I'd like you to check that out. She tells a story that came from the North that talked about the ancient times. And um, when I hear her talk about the ancient times, it's connecting me with our most recent, most recent catastrophe on this planet where all the people got sent to the four directions and that um, in, in being sent in the four directions and being separated, they all were assigned a spiritual responsibility like their lineage was responsible for holding this consciousness for when the great unification is to occur but this great unification you might look at as the story of the rainbow warriors or the story of the eagle and condor or the story of the new humans coming on this planet or the story of the um the great unification process of this planet there's there's lots of prophecies out there that touch on this and actually i was just saying these words earlier today it's kind of funny <clears throat> anyway and she and the metaphor is is um re re in reference to the cycles of the sun and uh so when the sun rises it's yellow and that's to represent the yellow people and the the, the spiritual responsibility of the yellow people was to be the caretakers of the earth. Um, and they, of course, didn't do that well and violated their, their sacred responsibility. And then came the white people and their response, sacred responsibility was to unite the um, humanity was to unite all the races and instead of uniting what happened was colonization and oppression right um, but if you still and i can say this because you know i'm a white person is that but if you notice there's still this tendency of white people to go into many different cultures we immerse ourselves in many many different cultures we don't necessarily um have a high appreciation of our culture, whatever that hour is, you know, if it's American culture or European culture or whatever, you know what I mean? We, we love, we, we bring in many different kinds of foods, many different kinds of religions and spiritual practices. Like all of it is very attractive to us as a whole. Right. And then she goes on to speak of the sunset and the red people and that their response, their sacred responsibility is to teach us how to bring peace. Okay. And then um, after the sun sets is the nighttime. And that is um, to represent the black people. 
and the responsibility, sacred responsibility of the black people is to keep everybody safe at night. So no one has to lock their doors. And in this metaphor that she's in the story that she talks about, it's just each one of the races has not done a good job of their sacred responsibility. Okay. And, and if you start looking at the tendencies of each of those races, I can, I can actually see that sacred responsibility trying to express itself. It's just coming out in a distorted way. Okay. So, so why am I talking about this? And, and it's about, it's because we are all in our awakening journey. We're all striving for, to know our authentic truth, to know thyself, and then live a life that is in total alignment with the truth of who we are. And I feel like the story that she told gives us more clues to us really connecting with our sacred self, our, our, our sacred responsibility, our authentic truth. So, and it helped me make a lot of sense of my journey too, because I have been taken all over the world to work with different masters, immortal masters, um, uh, shapeshifters, um, dream time masters. I mean, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the tales I can tell of the beings that called me in to teach me sound, it would sound like a sci-fi novel. Maybe one day I'll write about it, but, but, um, and, and one thing that always kind of, um, was in the back of my mind is that, you know, I'm, I'm an outsider, like I'm in, I'm in this white vessel and I'm, I'm an outsider being brought in. And if I were to, you know, um, if I were to adorn myself in the way that's true to the culture of the master that's teaching me, it's, you know, con it's considered disrespectful. And that was, that was something that was really difficult for me to reconcile because it felt good to layer myself in the way that, that they were layered. And it's, you know, each layer represents an initiation. And I was truly initiated by them in these different, with these different layers, but yet it was not in um, an alignment with the collective for me to wear these layers in public. So um, hearing the story really, really, really hit home for me. Cause I feel like that's what so many of us are doing. So many of us are doing, it's just, you know, there's a lot of reversal patterns within our collective field that doesn't let us see clearly why we have these, why we have these propensities that we have. <clears throat> so layering and taking on the energies of others. That's, that's another piece because when you get initiated, you are being gifted a quantum of energy. You're being gifted an encodement and this encodement has been held by a culture in most cases for thousands of years, thousands and thousands of years, tens of thousands of years. If you start connecting into the, um, the cultures that have a memory that goes back that far. And there are cultures that have memories that go back that far. 
like the bone, the bone of Tibet. Those are the indigenous of the Tibetan, of the Himalayan mountains. They're a shamanic Buddhist <laughs> sect that has stories and memories, and they actually have a homeopathic, um, this, this powder that they use, um, where the recipe has been handed down and fully connected going back 45,000 years. So that means every year for 45,000 years, there's a ceremony in the spring, the spring um, equinox, where a new batch of this sacred herb is made and they take a handful of the old batch and put it in the new batch to homeopathically reinform that part that that uh that um that herb mixture and they that herb mixture has been the lineage of it has been intact for over forty five thousand years imagine the memories you can connect to in that way okay yes right and the aboriginals they too their stories are intact of when humanity existed purely in dream time before they even came stepped out of the river of the cosmos and stepped foot on this planet okay and there's also the um there's also the uh uh those in africa and i'm trying to remember the name of the tribe i can't remember the name of the tribe right now they you know they have connections in with their ancestors going back many dozens of generations so when they sing the song of their ancestors they're singing the name of every single ancestor and it takes a half hour to sing this song because they have so many in their ancestry they so far back they can trace they can trace to far before the great catastrophe that's in the the records of humanity so when we so these lineages through great hardship in many cases have these encodements to share and part of how they live is when they when you get initiation you get a layering you get something layered on you to acknowledge that initiation um, on a you know a visual cue sometimes it's like a sash for some cultures it's a it's a tattoo in other cultures it's a scarring it's you know what i mean it's like all these mean something very very significant and in this way all of us are hungry, hungry, hungry to receive these encodements. To we're hungry and even set up to receive these encodements. And this is my hypothesis that uh, my hypothesis is is that this is partially why empaths are built the way that they're built. We are built not just empaths, all humans really are built to to take in other people's energies. We're built to bring to bring it into ourselves. We're built to incorporate it into our reality. And unfortunately, like everything else, just like our sacred responsibilities and our, our initiations and and the intentions of them, it gets distorted. And the distortion looks like exactly what our dear sister star sign shared in her story where she talked about there was a disturbance there was someone who was really drunk or on some kind of drug peeing in the front yard his car gets away from him runs into the neighbor's car and chaos ensues and it triggers the neighbor 
which triggers her. And there's this, you know, this chaos that happens because, um, you know, there's fear programs in the collective that start getting bought, you know, bought into and then stress, um, energetic stress, emotional stress, physical stress ensues. And then once that starts happening, she woke up to, oh, my gosh, I'm totally taking on this fear energy of my neighbor. I was just trying to be neighborly. But here, here she gets involved in the drama. And it's not anybody's fault. There was a comment made that, oh, well, it's easy. Just don't take on that energy. But here's the thing. To not take on that energy on some level is working against your very nature. Our very nature, our subconscious need subconscious need to feel connected in with our surroundings and our subconscious need to receive encodements to help facilitate our awakening and liberation right and our subconscious need to feel our ancestry be supported by the rivers of life the life force energy that brought us to the here and now moment so there's these layers here that are all in action within our subconscious, our energy field that poise us in such a way to take on other people's energies without even realizing that we do it. And then once we realize that we do it, we still are challenged. To how do you not do it then? And actually, even before that, once you do it, how do you undo it? <laughs> right. How do you undo it? So, and, and that's what she was sharing. She was sharing her process of realizing that's what she did and then what she did to undo it, which is a very, very potent awareness to have. So if you guys haven't seen Stacy's video, I encourage you to check it out because she went through step-by-step step on what she did to release that energy of her neighbor that she took on. Okay. And of course, um, the energetic hygiene techniques that we teach at in the Light Body Academy and the Light Body 101 um, uh, uh, subscription. That that is also how to keep you know how to be clear in your energy, how to let go of energy that you've taken on, and even how to what are the signs that you're taking on someone else's energy? What are the signs that you're poised to be receiving energies? Now. I want to talk about in this next phase here of what it feels like to take on energies that are not good for you, that are not in alignment with your sacred purpose, with your spiritual responsibility to being in being authentic with yourself. And I feel like in the new in these newer generations, the word or the need for discipline is now shifting. It's not discipline. Now it's about truth. So if you were to acquire some level of discipline, it would be to discipline yourself to always tell the truth, tell the truth to yourself and tell the truth to other people. And that takes a commitment that takes a lot of courage because we are living in a world where people don't want to know the truth. We're living in the world where it's more important to be politically correct than to be honest and truthful. And how as sovereign multidimensional beings, we reclaim this world is by refusing to play along with that story and instead fiercely stick to what's true for us and only speak the truth out loud to others. That is how we reclaim our, our reality. Okay as multidimensional sovereign 
human beings. That is how we reclaim it on an everyday mundane level. Now, <clears throat> as you awaken, the level of truth you're aware of changes. Okay. So that is uncomfortable, but also very necessary. And I'm saying this from very long line of experiences of my own, but also listening to other people of those early generation indigos that, you know, were born in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, <laughs> 70s. This is something that we learned the hard way. And hopefully we've embodied this to a level. Okay. We've embodied this to a level where it's not so difficult for you guys. And what this looks like is it's a major crisis of faith. It's when something you get exposed to rocks your world, wakes you up, empowers you beyond belief. And you're like, oh, hell yeah. Oftentimes it looks similar to the guru journey, right? Adapting a guru or taking on the teachings of a guru. And then you reach a point in time where it all comes crashing down around you. You reach a point in time where something gets reflected to you that may, that gives you a crisis of faith. Okay. Maybe you wake up to it's a false guru. Maybe you wake up to something that you really thought was the truth. All of a sudden is not the truth. Maybe you wake up to the, um, the corruption in the organization you've dedicated your life to. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's something didn't work out the way it was supposed to be. Maybe it was a healing crisis and that you were supposed, you thought you were avoiding by having a certain lifestyle. Whatever the rude awakening was, it brought us to a crisis of faith. And that crisis of faith rocked our world like nothing, like nothing, nobody's business, right? Rocked our world. And it forced us to let go of this outside truth of this outside authority. It forced us to let go of this outside authority and instead have more commitment and courage to reference from within ourselves. And it trained us over many scathing experiences that our inner truth is more important than these outer authorities. And that could be a spiritual tradition that could be, you know, there's a whole spectrum of things that can be religions, organizations, teachers, you know, all sorts of stuff, right? But what this has done is set the stage for these next generations to really though these collective grids to allow for these next generations to more easily reference within themselves to know thyself in a very deep level where you can take what works from this tradition and rock it, take what works for that tradition and rock it. And all of these things that you are extrapolating from all these different choices are taking you even closer to knowing thyself, taking you even closer to your inner truth at lightning speed. It, what took an indigo 40 years can happen in five years for those in this younger generation.
Okay. That is a fruit of our labors. Those of us who've been around for many decades. So in that way, it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. It's also worth it because we ourselves also become more integral with our being and we trust ourselves way more than we ever have before. So when it comes to deciding when you're in dynamic with somebody, when it comes to recognizing when you're in dynamic with somebody, am I stepping outside my energy? Am I open? Am I taking on their energy? Am I caretaking them in their suffering? Am I caretaking them in their sadness? Am I trying to save them from their process or am I holding an integral space to help them in the whatever way they're going to get helped by being in this integral space? Okay. So, as empaths, we're trained that our well-being only happens when everybody around us is okay. So we're on, so we're, you know, this, all this prep work has set the stage for us to have a different relationship to that. So there is a way to help your fellow man and woman, your neighbor, your friend without taking on their energy. Taking on their energy means all of a sudden you're wearing their stress. You're wearing the stress as if it's your stress. You are preoccupied with what to do than, like they are. You are really attached to the solutions you see. You're really attached to them implementing the solutions you recommend. <laughs> you see what I mean? It's like you all of a sudden are carrying that burden with them and you are trying to fix it. That is a sign that you are taking on their energy. The other thing is, is that notice what your body does. Your breathing starts, starts to change. Your breath is no longer deep and relaxed. It's more shallow. Um, you'll notice that your nervous system is less at ease. You'll, you'll notice that maybe you cannot stop thinking about their problem. Okay. All these things are signs that you're taking on this other person's energy instead of holding an integral space for them to find their own solution. Because really them finding their own solution is what it's all about. That's why their spirit has them in that, that um, scenario in the first place. Okay. It's not to be saved. It's so they can find it within themselves to come out of the situation, to maybe alchemize the situation. Some people um, like the word karma. It's their karma to come up with the solution. But by you getting in the way, taking on their energy, you're getting in the way and they don't get to do it, which means they have to repeat the whole dynamic all over again. So you didn't help at all in the long run. So another thing to think about is that examine your own reasons on why you're helping, why you're getting involved. A lot of times we are coming in as a savior. We're getting involved because we don't believe that person can do it on their own. We don't believe in them. We don't think they can figure it out or we think it's too, too much for them to figure out. Okay. When that is happening inside of us, we are no longer holding that integral space. We're now, we're now colluding with their victimhood. 
if anything, we're contributing to it now because we're giving them the signal overtly or, or um, subvertly, you know, giving them the signal that, oh, you can't do that. You know, you're not going to, this is over, this is beyond what you are capable of. Okay. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to uh, check in with a couple of the comments just to uh, see what's happening here. Welcome, Darren. So good. Glad you saw you were able to come in and chime in. Luna, hello. All right, and Joanne chimes in. She says, I truly resonate with being an outsider and not qualified to include myself into the trappings of whichever culture. Thank you for that story. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Joanne. Um, she says, yes, truth opens the door out of the prison of the matrix. Yes. So truth is the next is the next generation's responsibility. It's not necessarily discipline. It takes discipline, inner discipline to stick, you know, to commit to the truth. But all these other practices that require a uh, a discipline. You know, you just got to you got just got to check with yourself. Does it help you stay in congruency with your truth? Does it help you stay in congruency with what really feels right for you? Because some people embrace discipline in order to as you know, as a mechanism, as a survival mechanism. And that discipline may. How do I say that? The, that discipline, the voice of the need to be disciplined speaks louder than the whispers of their spirit. You know, uh, are the whispers of your spirit are going to inspire you to embrace freedom, but also let you feel, sense what it is to be in constant flow with life. And when you're in constant flow with life, there is no right or wrong, good or bad. Everything is just in a flow. And there's a beautiful concert that you have no control over, but are a major participation with. Okay. And, and that is really the truth of our spirit. That is really the truth to um, our abundance and feeling fully supported by the universe is just allowing ourselves to be in the flow of life in the flow of life. That's one of the things I've really changed my tune around here in uh, Mexico, um, especially around the driving situation, because um, I don't know if you guys ever driven in a third world country, but there's no rules really. It's like whatever gets you there. And I mean, some, with some places even, you know, a road could be two lanes most of the time, but when you have, people that are in a hurry, sometimes they'll turn it into three lanes, right? And then you have cars, semis, trucks, and bikes, like bicycles and motorcycles. And they, and the bikes and motorcycles and scooters, they just go any which way they want. They can go the wrong way down a one-way road. They can weave in and out of traffic. They do this, they do that. And the, the accumulation, the summation of all this in a third world country that's crowded and there's, you know, like a traffic, um, like a rush hour kind of traffic is total chaos, total chaos. And one day, um, my travel companions and I were, um, were sitting where we went to this um, market area where there's a lot of food trucks and, you know, a lot of street vendors because we want to try some of the local, the local food. And we're, we're just watching this chaos unfold in the traffic. And, and then it kind of hit me, you know, 
But even though it's absolute chaos, there's everybody is in a flow. They are like not inhibited. They are in their flow. And because they are in their flow, everybody happens the way it happens there. You would be, I'm shocked that there are not more accidents than there are. And if anything, what I noticed driving in a scooter, because I used to be really cautious, but what I noticed that when I hesitate, when I exercise extreme caution, I am creating dangerous situations for everybody on the road with me. I know, but as soon as I give into the chaos and I'm just in the flow of it, it's like now I'm one of those crazy people, you know, weaving in and out of traffic. <laughs> but strangely enough, it's a flow. It's a dance and everybody is in the dance together. And there's no right or wrong, good or bad. It's just this, this flow that everybody's in. And because everybody's in that flow, everybody gets to where they need to be going safely. It reminds me a lot of the dynamics in darkroom when you're in complete blackness total blackness you can't see your hands in front of your face and uh once people settle into the energy and they're in their deep their deeper um awarenesses people just flow they flow through the hallway and you don't run into each other you go up and down the stairs no one falls down the stairs no one bumps into each other why because we're all in the flow okay so the flow for those of us that are used to things being organized, cut and dry and all that stuff is a really crazy prospect. But that is life, is this flow in many different directions and many different flavors in many different ways, just this flow. And that's what makes this human experience so rich, in my opinion. All right. Miroslav says, to which generations you're actually talking about, you can specifically tell me it is really mind blowing what you're saying. Well, I'm talking about all that. Well, so I'm a seventies child. Um, my brother's an eighties child. Uh, let's see, my sister is a sixties child. So when I'm talking about the newer generations, I'm talking about like 35 and under, um, the 20 somethings, you know, the, the later 20 somethings that, that those generations is really what I'm talking about where, what took us, in, you know, 40 years to do in the, in the early generation indigos, you know, you guys get to get the, you know, you guys can do it in five or even less than that. You know, I imagine these younger generations that are in their late, late teens, early twenties can probably do it in a few months. They just need to be exposed to those frequencies and they're going to wake up and aha, you know what I mean? All right. Dear Luna Rio says my uncle, my uncle calls it la ley del Cocha de Viejo, Mas Viejo, the oldest car has the right of way. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Okay, okay. They, uh, I want to make sure I'm saying that right. La Ley, yeah, La Ley del Cocha Mas Viejo. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then um, Athena chimes in and says, driving in China is abs was absolute madness. The car horn was the only thing keeping people safe. Yes, that is absolutely true. See, in the States and in Canada, you blow your horn because you're mad or you're get out of my way or whatever. But in other countries, in third world countries, it's a safety measure. <laughs> it's a toot toot, I'm here. Toot toot, don't turn left. Toot toot, I'm, I'm on your right. <laughs> you know, totally different connotation. Yeah, so Joanne's also um, chiming in. She's seen it as well, and there were no accidents. The other thing it also forces you to do is be really present 
it's definitely a practice in complete presence because you can't be absent-minded driving in these roads because you never know where there's a speed bump or where there's a great big pothole and the potholes here are freaking deep and deadly so there's you need to really be very very present in order to to be engaged in the driving situation here all right darren says ha 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 sounds like driving in vietnam that place was crazy yes exactly exactly what i'm talking about polly says now you understand about new york city and how we all manage the chaos well you know new york city is that organized you know you have one-way roads <laughs> you know everybody's going in the same direction i would say um you know it's it's uh for someone who's in the country going to new york city it's crazy chaos I'm going from a third world country into New York City. I, I imagine that's being like, you know, lap of luxury and organization. All right, dear Athena says, I'm 29 and it's quite a ride these past four years. Yes, 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 exactly. That truth thing is so important. That truth thing. It's and it's scathing, you know, it's still scathing. It's just, you know, your whole life doesn't crumble now when you realize these scathing truths. Instead, it's there's like a uh awakening on the other side of it where you're like wow and there's a strength that's there you get to bypass the you know the 10 years of building your life up again just to destroy it <laughs> for those of you who've been around for a while you know you know what the, the crazy stuff i'm talking about yes 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 awesome awesome thank you for that <clears throat> all right athena um uh miroslav is also saying that she's 29 you guys are in the same age bracket Yes. Oh no. Is that a he? Nope. I'm saying he. I'm saying she, but I think I mean he. Sorry about that, dear. Um, so guys, this was fun. Let me know. Um, you know, if this is really resonating for you, please uh help us our, help us out on this channel and like and subscribe and comment, do all those good things and share it if you know somebody who can really benefit from this conversation. Um, I encourage you to check out those two videos that were posted in both the Telegram and or multidimensional human group one is stacy talking about what to do when taking on other people's energies and the other one is una sharing the um the sacred story that i extrapolated these two under these understandings from um and let's see yes and if you want to dive into the empathic empowerment work like really how to keep good energetic hygiene it's a practice it's not something that just happens overnight and the reason why is because we quite literally over many generations are trained to behave the opposite of what's good for us <laughs> okay so um so it does take work but um we have a really wonderful program here at life body academy called life body 101 where you can learn all the all you know different tools and techniques and have a community of people practicing these things to um, get a grip on good energetic hygiene and how to really shift your empathic ability the burden of it and shift it into being a really amazing gift in your life so i um you can find more information about that at lightbodyacademy.com all right, darlings, that's it for me. I am out of here. Mwah, mwah. Love you guys. I will see you next time. Next time, I will give a I will give a message in both groups if we're going to be on or not. So next Thursday, I will be at the Mexican airport getting um, you know getting on a plane. So um, if I can do the chats from the airport. I totally will. And if I can't, I'll be sure to put a message out to everybody so you guys know that we won't be talking that day. All right. And then the following Thursday, chances are 
I will not be there because I'll be that in that um, plant medicine intensive. So, um, so that's, that's the story. So at worst case scenario, I'll see you guys in three weeks. <laughs> Best case scenario, I'll see you guys next week. All right. Lots of love to you all. See you next time, whenever that is. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Mwah, mwah. Bye.